Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoy it. If you're enjoying Pirate Living Podcasts and all the content we bring to you each week, you can support us and buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash pirate living. Other ways you can show your support as well, subscribe and follow Pirate Living Podcast, rate and review our show, and share this podcast with your friends. You can find us on Instagram at Pirate Living Podcast to keep up with the latest episodes, awesome guests, and bonus clips. Pop in and say hi. We love chatting with fellow pirates. You can also reach out to us uh, to learn more about our individual and group coaching programs. And as usual, keep creating good trouble. And now on to today's episode. Welcome to Pirate Living Podcast. We are your hosts, Karan and Kristen. On this podcast, we are highlighting ordinary people living extraordinary lives. These are pirates who take small, bold actions daily to create social change. Pirate life is all about rebelling and breaking the rules for good. Creating lasting social change starts by first breaking our inner rules. After all, the hardest rules to break are your own. The pirates we highlight have dedicated themselves to creating good trouble. Today on our podcast, we are chatting with Shifra Bloom. Shifra is life coach who helps people embody their deepest purpose for which they were born. She guides humans to unlocking their wild feminine through her work. Shifra is also a survivalist and someone I would want on my side in the event of, apocal- of an apocalypse. Every time I talk with Shifra, I learn something new and we are very excited to talk with her today. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you both. So I want to start off by asking you, um, you've spent a lot of time living in community and yeah, you've, you've built life living with people. Um, what are some of the important lessons that you've learned about creating and communing in a pirate lifestyle? That's an awesome question and place to start. Let's see. The first thing that immediately popped into my mind is the importance of communication and the, imp- the importance of having shared values and an understanding of what those shared values are, um, even to the point of you know, writing them down and then having that continued communication so that the, so that those shared values uh, can continue to evolve and grow as you do as a community and as a group. That's, that's the first thing that immediately comes to mind. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds to me like you've spent time building your pirate crew and writing out your pirate code together and living by a code. Yeah, that's interesting that that you say that because as I was just reflecting and answering Kristen's question, I was thinking, oh, that sounds a lot like a pirate code. And at the time, (laughs) you know, years ago when I remember doing this with with this specific community that I'm thinking of where I was for, for years, we didn't have that way of talking about it like we we weren't thinking pirate code but that's totally what that was 
yeah and and I remember you know sitting around and, and writing it out and having all these conversations and to the point where like even though I don't I don't know where that original document is anymore, but I still remember some of the key features of it and it still continues to be, it's like so embedded in my core values and what I bring even when relating to other people and communities since then, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'd love to know more about these communities that you built or the community that you were living in. Okay, yeah, it's one in particular that is really where I I spent the most time. It was about six years um, that we were co-creating that together. And it was out here in Oregon, just outside of Portland. Um, And it was, let's see, where where to start in describing it? You say you want to know more about it, (laughs) I guess, Mm -hmm. in a general sense. Yeah. Um, So the general sense was just to get the framework or or the picture for people to have in their mind was, you know, we had 10 acres and it was, it was two couples that were, you could say, holding down the fort (laughs) as the core group. And then we had a flow of, you know, guests, interns, apprentices, and volunteers. And those were all like, those are four categories of guests that we would have. And each one was slightly different in terms of like how that interaction looked, but we would, we would just have all kinds of people flowing through for different durations of time to participate in really, I call it an experiment, but it was, it was an experiment. And it, it was, it was really an interesting experiment because we were learning a lot about um, like, like Kristen said, I have some of these survival skills and we had, we were practicing a lot of homesteading skills and, and really simple living on the earth and being resourceful and being renewable and sustainable. So we grew most of our own food, including meat and vegetables. And um, we would have people coming through and it was, it was very pirate, <laughs> I think, in that it was different than really, it was different than anything I've ever seen. Although I know there's a lot of cool stuff out there that I'm still unfamiliar with, but we had this very collective and communal way of being where just about everything was shared. And something, one way that I've been describing it lately is that there was routine, but not rigidity. So Mm -hmm. like we would get up in the morning and we had a routine where we would gather in the common space and have tea and share our dreams. So the name of of it was Nagdio, which is from a book, the Kinabata are waiting for you. And Nagdio basically is a greeting and it means to live in a way that sets you up to have strong dreams. And so your sleeping and waking dreams are very much intertwined. So the community was based around that. And that concept continues to be a really deep part of the work that I do today. Um, But how that looked was setting your life up. Well, what sets you up for strong dreams and why do you want strong dreams? Well, you know, we'd wake up, we'd share our dreams. Then we'd go on a run. There, there was a bark chipped trail about a quarter mile around the property that we laid wheelbarrow at a time, you know, and we would run together, but kind of each at your own pace. And if you didn't want to run, it was fine. But there was that accountability of like the whole group was going. So you kind of want to go. We would stretch again, kind of do your own thing, but together. So there's guidance if you needed it, but do your own thing if you want We'd have breakfast usually together. Someone would just make it. So it was different in that there wasn't like a schedule. There was, there was no nagging you to like, hey, when's the last time you signed up to cook breakfast? It was just 
you know, I really like to cook. So I was, I was cooking a lot. Mm. Whereas someone else really liked to um, weed whack the blackberries, which is really not interesting to me at all. <laughs> right. And so there was this concept of show up fully and offer, you know, if you offer as, as much as you are truly able and not more, right. And also not, it's true, like finding that true balance of really where is what I am able to give. And if we're each giving as much as we're able to give and not less, but also not more, which is very important, right? And it's, mm -hmm. that's often forgotten. If you say as much as I can, oh my God, you think I have to give more than I can. That's different. And that was, that was very much emphasized, you know, and you take care of yourself. Um, then that's where you reach that state of nausea. So after a morning routine, you know, you go off and do whatever, whatever work you had to do for the day, which a lot of our work was around tending the land and ourselves and each other. And it's that relationship with self, other, and the whole community of life on earth. Um, so I'm just, I'm just talking and throwing out what's coming to mind, but mm. these are some of the, ba the base concepts that our community was focused around. Um, and that is what we practiced, you know, every day for the better part of the six years while, while I was there, you know, practicing it with myself and with those that would come to stay with us. Um, that's, that's the gist of it. I'll, I'll, I'll stop there for a moment. Yeah, I'm interested. You mentioned like apprentices. So what, what type of um, apprentices, what would they come to learn? Yeah, that's a great question, too. They... Oftentimes, apprentices would find us through either the woofing website. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's like, what does the W stand for? It's volunteers on organic farms. I mm. I want to say it's willing workers, but it's not. It's something else. It's mm. like, but it's like volunteers on organic farms and it's this website. And so oftentimes they would come and they would find us that way. Or sometimes they would find us through, there's um, these tr traditional earth skills gatherings throughout the country that, you know, I've, I've attended some, I've taught at some, and we would meet people at those gatherings in person as well. And sometimes they would come through that. Um, and then I was teaching a lot of yoga at, the, at that time as well. So sometimes, they, you know, they would meet me through that. So through these different avenues, people would meet us and then we would invite them to stay. And we, we if, if they were strangers, meaning we hadn't already spent time with them for a week at a gathering or something like that, if they were just through the website, then, you know, we would vet people, which that that boundary and that discernment in community, you know, Kristen's original question of like, what were some of the main takeaways? how to say no in a way that was empowering to people. Like mm. we, had to, we had to A, vet people before we even invited them. And then we would invite people for a three-day stay. Mm. And often we would send them along after those three days. And sometimes we would invite them to continue to stay. And you know, often they thought they wanted to stay past those three days, even if they didn't get that invitation. And so how to... Um, really turn people down and say no and have that have that strong boundary in a way that was so compassionate that there was healing in it for them mm. so that they could leave realizing oh I, I just got something and I'm actually more on my path as I walk away because of this three-day experience they could leave feeling empowered rather than rejected that was a huge lesson and a huge part of what that looked like um, in inviting so they would come to learn homesteading skills and 
earth skills, but I would say more than that, like those were, those were the external things that we were teaching. Mm-hmm. And really the focus was the inner work. And I would say self-care and self-discovery, even more than, you know, those things are intertwined. It was self-discovery. So we had these tools through which we helped people to get grounded and to feel more capable. And, and those weren't really the end goal, though. The end goal was self-discovery. Mm. That, yeah. And how has what you've learned um, from that, from that time living in community and learning, setting those boundaries, how is that now transferred into your life? going forward. So using your pirate code that you created, what did you keep? And yeah, how is it influencing you now? Yeah, I feel like on so many levels that that time period, the code that we wrote, and just the life that we lived has infused itself into into myself, and into, you know, the words I speak, and I speak and the air that I breathe. And you know, this goes to, to the story work um, that I do and then which is what I I may have frozen for a second. Yeah, I think you're yeah. frozen, so say it again. <laughs> okay. So so the so that time period, that code, and I'll give some specific examples. But I first just want to say that, that the code that we wrote and the experience that we lived for those years has infused itself into my blood and bones, you know, into, into the air that I breathe and the words that I speak. And the reason is because um, we, we were creating a different story to live in. And then we were practicing living in that story. So before I give you the examples of like this way and this way, I, I want to speak into this for a moment because it's so important because, um, you know, we, we came, each of us in our own story with our own background, and we came from this greater, you know, culture, Western culture that, that we're all living in, even though we all have our own experiences of it. And so there are storylines that we take for granted especially about what it means to share or have a life of sharing or collaborate or, you know, versus competition and just all this stuff that is just so deeply ingrained into how we, because of past experiences, expect to have to guard ourselves or defend ourselves or just what relating will be like or what exchange has to be like. And so it's like we come in with expectations. And so we really made an effort to create a code for a, a life of collaboration and sharing and mutual support where instead of it being we're a bunch of individuals and we're going to work together but like we're just totally separate entities we we did our best to try on the story of you know what if we're a hand and we're each a finger on this hand and we're working together as this hand. That's the best way I can think to yeah. give that analogy right now. So, um, but to actually integrate that is really challenging when you're coming from your whole life lived where that's not the norm. And so the the reason, so the way that you you shift is like the, the stories that we told ourselves, 
you know, we were telling ourselves this new story about how we were, you know, this unit or how we were going to work together. And, and uh, I would say without addressing it, like if we were just to have a list of rules on the wall, and this is what I see where some communities end up falling short with this is you'll see communities where there's like, oh, there's a list of rules on the wall, mm -hmm. but, but that doesn't address it at this deeper level of like my beliefs by shifting like who I am, like which character I am and what does that character role play in this narrative of who we are as a group, like really addressing it in that, in that narrative um, way. And, and when you do that, I, I think that change will stick, even if the circumstances change, like I'm no longer living there, that the, it, it doesn't exist anymore, right? And that's okay, but the narrative has stuck. And even my friends who were there with me, like the narrative is still living in them in their own way. So specific ways that, that it, that like that code manifests and that it still plays into my life today, for example, is like some of those habits for, for Nogdio, for that self-care, it's really ingrained in me, right? Mm -hmm. to, to wake up and remember my dreams and you know, get some movement into my body right away. You know, even though now I live alone, those years of doing it in community with people day after day, it's, it's a habit. And then I would say also like in our actual code, if we're gonna call it that, we had these three concentric rings that we drew out. And the first ring was your yourself. And the second ring was the people that take care of you. And then the third ring was everybody else outside of that. And that might seem obvious, but it's really different than how most people who would come in like as apprentices would work in taking care of all of their friends and people and then collapsing really is what we saw a pattern of a lot, like really giving, 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 over giving, over giving, and then just burning out. Mm -hmm. And then, you take her and then you take care of the people in your inner circle who are taking care of you and then like outside of that there's your other acquaintances and friends and like the outer circle then once you're fed and the people who take care of you are fed then you take care of those people and this is also really stuck and then the third thing that i'll also add is um just the concept of Nagio itself, how to live in a way that is conducive towards strong and enlightening dreams and the valuing of dreams has evolved for me into this concept of lucid living, which is something I talk about a lot, which is basically if you're lucid dreaming, then you are conducting events that are happening in the dream in the moment as they're happening. And so if we're going to see waking life as a waking dream, which I really do see it that way because <clears throat> the way we interpret an event is very subjective on our perspective, right? So mm -hmm. that's, I could talk about that, but I'll just sum it up like that right now. So then the question is, how do we become that lucid conductor of this waking life dream? So those are the three top ways that come to mind. Mm -hmm. 
So that sounds a lot like, like, first of all, triaging your energy and where, where you spend that in terms of like prioritizing yourself and the people that take care of you before you give away your energy elsewhere. Is that accurate? That's a cool, that's a cool way of putting it. And I've never thought of it that way before, or like used that term (laughs) to think about it. So uh, that feels accurate. And I, I'd have to consider that more. Mm -hmm. Um, What was I saying? I had one more thing. Now I forgot. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Okay. It'll come to you. <laughs> It'll come to me. I'll ask you later. <laughs> okay. Um, in terms of, uh, so what are you doing now and what social rebellion are you looking to start or have you started with your work now? And tell us about what you're doing now. That's a cool question. <clears throat> um, well, right now, I... I do healing and coaching work. So I have one-on-one clients that I work with. And that's the main thing that I'm doing right now. I am also creating a deck that I'm really excited about. That's um, It's a card deck that will come with a workbook. And it's called the Spellcraft deck um, for crafting spells and being that, you know, I, a second ago, I was calling it the lucid dreamer of your waking life, or I like to say the architect of your reality. So Mm -hmm. I'm working on that project too, that I'm really excited about. Uh, In terms of, what did you call it? Social rebellion. Yeah. I, uh, well, there's two things that, there's two things that come to mind. And one is, let me get my thoughts real quick, (laughs) because there's Mm -hmm. two that come to mind. Well, the main thing that comes to mind is what what does it look like to really show up in one's authenticity fully and unapologetically? Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, as a very feminine person, um, what does it look like to really show up, you know, fully in my powerful femininity, mm-hmm. right? And to me, this is a straight up social rebellion in a world that really, I feel like rewards when people shut themselves down and and shut down their inauthenticity. And I also feel like there's just so much reward and encouragement for, I, I, I would say, the like healthy feminine is devalued. Mm -hmm. I would say, I do say and see that in our current culture, there are more like feeling traits that are rewarded more. And at the same time, the healthy, like, masculine is also shamed and devalued just as much as the powerful feminine is shamed and devalued. So I, I really love speaking into that push pull, like that polarity and 
with myself and with the people that I work with, you know, first of all, clearing away all of the chatter and cobwebs so that we can even figure out, well, who am I really? Where even, what even is my nature? And then now that I'm clear on what is my nature, whoa, how do I show up as that? Like, which in my case, it's to be that fully powerful feminine. Um, but in, for some people, it's to be anywhere else on that scale. But the, the main point being, how do I show up, you know, fully as that when there's so much pushback? Because <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. because that's going to be true at, at any place along that spectrum. Um, that, and then the other thing that I was going to say is, well, I guess there's two other things, but one is just this idea of, again, it's those three rings, but it's, it's slightly different. I suppose it's the fourth ring is the rest of the community of life. So often we'll talk about self-care so that I can give more. I'll first take care of myself, but I can give more to the people who take care of me and then the people outside of that. And then oftentimes, we will miss this fourth circle that to me is very important, which is, and the rest of the community of life. So to me, the, the bigger purpose, you know, besides like, oh, I want to feel good. I want to, you know, have a bigger impact. I want to have like this awesome life. I want to, you know, take care of others to do that too. And then there's this other thing, which is, hey, how do we actually like look at the story that we are collectively living in And then we look at where that story is going. So, and then how do we change that? So that's the bigger social rebellion that I feel like I am co-leading with my other (laughs) pirate rebels like you guys. I mean, you know, is this, for me, the way that I see it and would articulate it is I see that the current story we're living in, um, it's really one of competition to sum it up, like that, that is a word that sums that up really well. Obviously there's more to it, but this, it's, it's individuation and separation and competition are some of the themes of the story that we're currently living in. And what's tricky about a story that you're living in is that it's ingrained into your, to a culture's beliefs and worldviews such that it's, it's, it becomes like the invisible walls to the cage that you're living in, right? So have you guys, I forget the name of the study, but are you familiar with that study where they put cats, kittens in a room and they grow up with the vertical lines versus the horizontal lines? No. I feel like it's, I'm, I'm gonna mess up the name if I try to remember the name of the study, but there's a study where they put cats in the room and they grow up with horizontal lines on, on the walls and then they grow and then the other set grows up with vertical lines and then something like they either switch them in the rooms or they put like bars or chairs or something with the lines that are opposite to the ones that they grew up in and and the behavior of the cats was such that they determined that the cats couldn't see the lines that were not the ones they grew up with does that make sense yeah where you're like a blindness to what they had grown up to they they're unable to see it yeah like they're literally unable to see if they grew up with vertical lines they they couldn't Hmm. input the horizontal lines and so i 
I will look up and remember the name of that so I could share it with you guys because that has always stuck with me so deeply that if we grow up so deeply ingrained in a story or a mythology or a perspective, like so much of what we just say is like, this is true, is actually belief and perspective. And so unearthing that and bringing that to light is a big part of what I want, what I am doing. And then, well, now that, now that we can sort of and that is currently true now what do we do about that so then rewriting a new story of this story I would say is one of belonging and even deeper than simply you know self-care and self-love and cooperation and community which are certainly all parts of that it goes deeper to recognizing that hey we belong here and as much as we, you know, I love the quote, like we're spiritual beings having an earthly experience and we're earth beings having a spiritual and emotional and mental experience as well. And, um, and, and recognizing like we're, we're earth creatures, you know, we're earth beings. We belong here. We were made for this place. It was made for us. Like, we grew up with it together over millions of years. Like, and, it, but this is story. So that, that first story of, of competition is leading us to, well, of separation is leading us to destruction and self-destruction and destruction of so many things. And, you know, you have, you have talk of the sci scientists saying, oh, we're in the sixth mass extinction, which is like, okay, alarm bells are going off for me. And then, and then it's like, well, how do we get there? Because he, human beings lived on this planet for a really long time. And, the, and anyway, you can look back and you can see where the shift really happened in history. And you can see that it's really actually recently in history that we've gone on this like destructive bent. And it started when that story of belonging started to break into a story of separation. And so you say, okay, well, if we want to heal and turn, it's like, we don't just want to, if, if the river of the story is flowing towards, you know, self-destruction and, and, you know, destruction of the planet, then we don't just want to put stakes in the river to like flow the flow. We actually want to divert the flow of the river. How do you divert the flow of the river? We do that with story and with belief and with what our role is in the story. And if the story can shift to, I am part of this place. I belong here. Um, you know, our, our ancestors belonged here. And so do I, right. Then I believe that that, that, that shift in story is what will divert the flow of the river. That's really beautiful too. And Karan looked like she was gonna say something. <laughs> well, actually, I was gonna say, Kristen and I recently had a conversation about um, belonging and tradition and being, um, you know, immigrants, colonizers, whatever you want to call us as a, like, as a entire, like, you know, North and most of North America, mm -hmm. um, that we've really, we've talked about how we've really lost 
the roots and the traditions of where we've we come from um which we both like completely agree we have very little tradition mm-hmm. um that's not what we considered in our conversation to be colonizing traditions and so how can we take you know nations of people without that roots or connections to their past and to where they come from and create a feeling of connection and belonging and togetherness. This is one of my favorite topics in the whole world. (laughs) (laughs) Great! (laughs) I'm so glad that it's going in that direction because, yeah, this is one of my favorite things. So, you know, we all come from different lineages and different mixes of lineages and it seems like none of the three of us are indigenous to the lands that we're currently living on, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And something, something that I feel very deeply is that all of us have ancestors who lived indigenously on this earth. And, you know, for me... Um, being, well, in my lineage, I can't trace it back several thousand years. And I feel very blessed in it. I feel like I personally am in this unique position where, sure, a lot of, a lot of what the ancient ones knew has been I'm going to make up some words here, religified and dogmified, right? Mm-hmm. And like attempted to be put into this way of like, let's use this for control. And that's true for me. And I think that's true for a lot of different, um, you know, more earth-based animistic or pagan tra- type traditions. But I do feel very blessed in that I can still connect to a lot of the ritual and incantation and tradition of of my ancestors personally. And then I've been able to, I've chosen to go deeper and study into more of like the layer deeper and the mysticism of, you know, there's what's presented on the kind of really simplistic, basic, literal level. And then there's like this acknowledgement that, well, before it was written down and solidified into words and then translated into, you know, English, which like, what I'm talking about would have originally been written in Hebrew or Aramaic, but let's just go with ancient Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, rather than, rather than letters, the, the, the shapes that we call letters were actually narratives. They were, Mm -hmm. they were symbols and the words, they weren't words, they were narratives, right? So it's just this whole other. And the reason is that is because you go back as soon as you write something down, you solidify it, you lock it in, you know, you give it one meaning on one level, and then it's warped, but you go back and before anything would have been written down, um, the, like, you go far enough back, and these were, you know, semi-nomadic hunter-gatherer shepherding people who would have had a very animistic view of, of, of the planet. And what I've learned, and I, I'm not like, a trained anthropologist. So this is my, this is, you know, just what I've learned in being an adamant amateur anthropologist (laughs) and reading a lot is that the spirituality of indigenous peoples from 
all over the earth, you, you wouldn't necessarily call their practices like religions, but you could say, oh, they're, they're spiritual systems. And those spiritual systems, at least the ones that I've seen, so I'm going to say most, were based in animism and in recognizing that there is life force, or you, you could use the word spirit, or you could just use the word like energy or life force that is animating and enlivening all of creation at every moment. And so that's what I've seen in the spirituality of all kinds of different um, indigenous peoples. And when I go back in my lineage and I look at, well, where did these, you know, incantations and rituals and practices come from? And you go into the mysticism and then it's like, it's right there. It's it, what I just said. It's like, and I, I even gave, I even gave a speech to like, I even gave a speech at Princeton University one time to like all these rabbis and doctors and scholars. And I was like, basically showed them how in their own, in their own books, it was showing that the truth was that, you know, this concept that we were referring to as, you know, God was this infinite life force that is animating all creation at every moment. So anyway, that's, really an animistic perspective. So you go back and the, po the point that I'm trying to make though is that when I look at, when I take out the newer kind of dogma or religion to what I've received from my lineage, you know, there are some very basic patterns. Like I tend to patternize things and, and see the patterns and things. And there are some very basic like categories and patterns of what is being taught and passed down. And those things are, those things apply to all humans. So if you go, if you go into the, if you start to narrow in, then you can see like certain things are developed because of certain lands that they were developed on. Then that's true in my tradition and I'm not living on that land anymore. But then if you pull back just a little bit, there's some basic categories of things that, are applied to all humans, to any human. And then from what I have been able to learn about other indigenous cultures, I'll see the categories of practices. Did I freeze? No. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Where did I stop? Um, the systems. So you were saying something about the systems. Yeah. So. So in my, in my lineage, I'll see like certain patterns um, or categories of practices that if you, if you widen out just a little bit, those things apply to all humans. And from what I've been able to learn from other teachers of other traditions, other indigenous traditions, uh, what I've seen so far is that though the details will be different, like the categories of practice, the categories of reverence will mirror each other from, from place to place and system to system. So what I, what I learned from that is that like there, there are some things that are specific and when they're culturally specific, it's usually because it's tying into the land where it developed, right? And if you pull back just a little bit, there's still some things that, that apply to any human. So like in my tradition, we have 
We have fire ritual. We have water ritual. We have full moon ritual. Like, like it's not necessarily given by that title, but when I pull back, I'm like, oh yeah, this practice is a fire ritual. This practice is a full moon ritual. This practice is a new moon ritual. This practice. So you have these categories that are just human. And so one thing that, that I am very, very passionate about and just like so grateful for is that I have this inheritance and one of my very favorite things to do is to give it away. <laughs> and one of, one of my like skills you could say that I have or just things that I love to do is to like take what I've received from, from my lineage and then take out the universal bits and then apply it universally and just like give it away because, because I can. <laughs> right. And I, and then, and then people get to relate to that, you know, it's been universalized. Like here, here's what a fire ritual is. Here's where it comes from, you know, in my lineage. And here's how it relates to all humans. You get to relate to how you want to relate to that, to that, you know, fire ritual or water ritual. Um, because, because there's a really good chance that your ancestors had their own version of that. Right. And so, and so that is, that is how I see being able to connect back to, you know, ritual and tradition and even one's own, one's own ancestors is to learn from others who are willing to share and then like take away the dogma or the details or like the cultural specific things and look at those patterns of reverence. What are the patterns of reverence? And then how does, you know, sitting with how does that apply to my heart? And then, you know, there's meditate. I have a beautiful ancestral healing practice that I created. Actually, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think every, I, I think nothing's new under the sun, right? <laughs> so it's like, I created this practice based on a consolidation of all kinds of things I learned from different places and different teachers, but I created this ancestral healing ritual, which is really just an opportunity for us to meditate on, on those ancestors and like heal some of that disconnect in our own heart. Right. Mm. And then, and then, you know, there's this third piece of also, I, I seem to be putting things in categories of three today. <laughs> there's this, there's this <laughs> third piece of, yeah. Of, and, you know, now we have these patterns of reverence. I can relate that to my own heart and to my own lineage because these are human, these are, you know, innate human things. And then also how can I also be here now where I am? Because I, I am not living on the land where those specific incantations were first whispered from the lips of my ancestors. They were living far away from where I am now. And other people were living here and now I'm living here, you know, and so how can I integrate that with respect and reverence and gratitude. And so, you know, something that I'll do is whenever, like if I move to a new property, a new land is, is to just like have that humility and reverence for, you know, and it's like, all of our ancestors prayed. Gratitude is a, is a, is a human 
birthright, <laughs> right? So, you know, having that and just arriving with that gratitude and reverence and humility to a new place. And then you can think of, okay, I'm here and I want to ask the ancestors of this land to, to welcome me and just say, hey, I'm doing the best I can. I come with good intention. I'm, I'm learning, you know, and I, and I, and there's so, there's so much more like to think that I'm just going to like do this life all on my lonesome as this human is like, oh, that's overwhelming. So I'm going to, I'm going to call on some help from something bigger than me. And I might have a name for it, or I might not really know how to have a name for it. It doesn't really matter. It's just a feeling. And I can go and then, you know, what are the ancestors of a land? It, it could be the spirits of the people who lived there before. That's, that's a possibility, but it could also be just the energy of the land or, you know, the, the plant, the plant people and the animal people and the insect people and all the other kinds of people that are currently inhabiting this land. And then in this very literal sense, you know, the, the animals and plants and people who, you know, died and were recomposed, decomposed and recomposed as the living, breathing physicality of this place right now. So even, even just that question of what is an ancestor I know I'm going off on some tangents. I told you I love keep it. Off keep going. <laughs> but yeah, even even just that question of like, well, what is an ancestor can be answered in a, a whole bunch of different ways, like I just started to outline. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure where I went from the original <laughs> question, but <laughs> no, it it makes a lot of sense. And um, one thing that I liked what you said was really finding the universal aspects of what you know your ancestors did or what you've learned what is you know from your culture because one of the things that we talked about was like how do we find a tradition and a sense of belonging without you know cultural appropriation of what's what isn't ours to to take or to take on um and and not knowing what our original cultural traditions were, right? How would we find that balance of finding something to believe in that isn't, yeah, cultural appropriation and yet still not knowing what, what it, we, where we came from. So I love that idea of the universality of, of what you're teaching. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I think the thing, what is the thing to believe in? And, and to me, it's, you know, our humanness and our belonging to the earth, that we are creatures of the earth, because we're, we're human creatures, mm -hmm. right? And then the interconnectedness of ourselves as, you know, as people, and the interconnectedness of ourselves to to this place, to this earth, and then literally to the place. And it's like it it's interesting because this whole conversation can be split into two categories. It can be it can be viewed from like a very spiritual place, or it can be viewed from a very practical place. But to me, those are one and the same. They're they're like two sides of the coin. It's just shadows of each other. And so, you know, you you're interconnected because all the energy is interconnected and you know the butterfly effect and what you do affects me but then you're you're also literally interconnected because we breathe the same recycled air and 
you know, we consume life. Like we, we, life requires life to live. Energy requires more energy. And so you consume pieces of, you know, plants or animals or water or air. And all those things came from somewhere. It's like, when you think of it very literally where those calories traced back to and came from, made up of this place and to me that's a very spiritual concept um to to think that yeah i'm not just a human i'm also i'm also the air i breathe i'm also the grass like i literally because you know if i ate something that ate the grass it's like that that connection to me that is meaningful that story um perhaps you know people will relate to that in their own way well when we're connected to the earth and the other creatures on the earth and the other humans on the earth it gives us a sense of responsibility for taking care of each other and where we are when we're I feel like if when we're disconnected um, from everything, then we we lack that responsibility or that care to do what's what's right to, I mean, you know, which leads to the destruction of the planet, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, exactly. Which is what we're talking about. I agree completely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so just to summarize, like for me, the the the, the to distill it down to that root thing that is a human thing to believe in. It's not like this mythology or that mythology or this way of calling things or that way of calling things. It's to like root into the story that we are part of this place. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we, we belong to it. We are it. It's not even we're part of it. We are it. And so to take, you know, and then, cause if you feel disconnected, like, I belong from some faraway land and I don't really belong here, then there's a disconnect. And like you said, that inherent need to desire to take care of the place is lessened. But if we feel, oh, I, I belong here, I'm part of here, um, then there's, there's an inherent softening and trust and caretaking that happens. And then like the ritual the point of the ritual is to get us there. So, so, and, and, and it's important. I would say what makes humans different from other, other creatures, other life <laughs> is that, you know, we're tribal, like, like a wolf is in a pack. You could say we're pack animals, but, but a pack is different than a tribe. We're actually tribal animals. And what makes a tribe different than a pack is that we're mismakers and we're culture makers and we're storytellers. And we're dreamers, those things. Um, and so the ritual, it is important. And the point of the ritual, like I think of the water ritual, is to get me back to clarity and connection to earth and spirit. Mm-hmm. And so once you know, like I said before, those patterns of reverence, and then you, you know, remember that, oh, I'm part of this, then we can create um, applicable and appropriate, you know, ritual that is, that is informed by ancient wisdom, 
and that applies to the current circumstance. And like you've talked a lot about the story, like story that create that is being created individually and story that's being created communally. Um, and we're all language um, story wizards here that love to create stories and talk about um, how, yeah, how our stories affect us and can either empower or disempower our life. So with that, um, yeah, tell us a little bit more as well about how you're spellcrafting, how with spellcrafting you are helping people create those better stories. Okay, yeah, the, the spellcrafting is, it's really fun work. And I, I call it spellcrafting on the one hand because it's fun. And, you know, just to define a spell, it's a word or combination of words of great influence, which I know you both know. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so to be able to use our words and combinations of words, we are constantly, our, our words that are in our heads and in our speech are constantly influencing our actions and therefore how we enact those stories, right? So how we, how we experience our life. So you could say we're casting spells on ourselves and on the people we speak to mm -hmm. all the time, right? So what if we become really conscious about recognizing how we're using language to influence how we are crafting those spells, you know? And so it's, it's so fascinating. And, you know, part of what I do too, as like a ritualist and with the ancestral healing and as an energy worker is like, I bring in that side of the magic too. Um, and it's fascinating to see like you go you go in to do the spell crafting work like let's just say like in a in a one-on-one -on -one session we often don't even realize the story like we don't even realize what that you could say a negative spell would be like a curse we don't even realize the curses we're spitting on ourselves mm -hmm. until you start to go into it so it's it's interesting because <laughs> like when I was talking about Nagvio I said there's there's rhythm and routine, but not rigidity. And so spell crafting is similar where there's rhythm, there's routine, there's a, there's a protocol, and yet there's not rigidity because it's like, you're, I, I am surprised every time at where the process wants to take us and at how we can dispel, you know, these, these negative stories or curses. Um, and just things that people don't even realize are related. Like this thing I'm working on over here that's related to this other thing I'm working on over here that's related to this story. And I mean, I just, I have some really epically cool examples, but that on, on the like private work level, that's how the spell crafting works. Um, you know, it's interesting too because we we think oh well if I'm not speaking it out loud maybe it doesn't matter if it's just in your head but the thoughts that are in our head 
first of all, that, that's what informs what we say out loud. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, there, there's this concept in the energy work of a thought form. And you know when you're just doing your thing and you have, in this example, a negative thought that just thinks its way into your head and you're like, I'm not even doing that. Like, <laughs> so I think this is a common experience that people have. And what we call that, like, in, in the energy way of speaking of it, which you can take it as, as literal or as a metaphor, I speak in metaphors. So from the energy perspective, it's, it's this thought form, which means it's this thought that we have given so much repetitive energy over and over and over to the point where it's as if it's its own separate entity. It's not, but mm-hmm. it's as if it were this little own little entity because we've just, we've given it so much gas that now it just sits there and it can just inform us and it, and it just pops in and it's like it wants, it was, it's like, oh, it wants more food. It's like this hungry little, you know, monster almost. And, and so the, the spell crafting is, um, there's the linguistic approach and then there's the energy approach of how do we dispel or disintegrate that energy entity, right? Like that thought form. And so in my work, again, whether you're doing it, for, they're not really separate, right? Like the, the language work and the energy work are one and the same. Um, they, they inform each other and they work together. But, you know, whichever way you're doing it, it's, it's like first you want to clean and then you want to charge. So like you want to clean out your house and then you want to put new stuff in it. So you want to clean your field, energy field, then you want to energize. And, and same thing, it's like you want to break the old spell and then you want to create the new spell. So we think, how do we dispel or disintegrate those negative thought forms? And then how do we craft new ones? And then now that we've crafted new ones, um, how do we make those new thoughts and stories so strong that they start automatically thinking themselves into our head so that they become the words that we speak so that they become. And what's interesting is we think, oh, like, you know, if I, if I'm thinking good thoughts, I'll attract things to me. And, and that's, that's, I believe that that's true. And it's so much more practical than that. Like there's, there's reasons that's true. And it's true because when you start thinking more of those thoughts, that's reflected, you know, you're creating those energy thought forms. You're now your energy is on board. Well, now you start speaking that. Well, the way you speak to someone that you're going to get a very different response from them. Like if you say something in the affirmative, or if you say something kind of in a more complainy, shameful way, you're going to get a different response from someone. Okay, well, then your whole interaction with that person is going to change. And then the choices that they and you will make outside of, you know, after that interaction is over is going to change. Right. And, and so it's literally the reason we attract when we clean up our you know, language and our energy is because our thoughts and therefore our words and therefore our actions change. So 
Did that answer your question? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I get so excited on these topics that I just, I just go for it. <laughs> I love it. Well, anything about language and story work, I mean, obviously, Kristen and I get really excited about mm -hmm. it too, right? And we can talk about these things forever. And one of the things I love is when, I don't know about you, but when I'm working with a client, sometimes the, the connection with their old stories and what they're dealing with currently is so obvious, like it stands mm -hmm. out. And I love it when the client finally sees that connection for themselves because you just wanted to tell them from like minute three like oh there it is I found it that's your story right and um it's really cool to see them discover it themselves and just be like holy I didn't know I didn't realize that the issues I'm dealing with today um are connected to this story from when I was you know six years old or whatever um and yeah. they can start putting the pieces together and it's it is magical it's magic yeah, well, and what's so cool about what you just said and, and the way you just described it is that, or, or, or I say what's different about this, this story work process is, is that you're right, guiding them to discover, you know, where the, when the spell was cast, if you will. Mm. And then it's different than some other kinds of coaching that I've seen in that the point isn't to really like relive or talk about or chat about or journal about the experience. The point is more to discover when was the spell cast? What is it? Where is it? And then how can we pull that out and, and then replace it with something new and mm -hmm. more serving? And so it's just very, because of that, because the intention is so strong, and, and the process is so powerful um, and, and really, you know, focused even it's the, the rate of healing. It's just, it's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It feels like magic, right? Which magic, what I'm going to paraphrase, but you know, the def just for, for everyone else, the definition of magic is the apparent, like it, it, it apparently seems like, there are supernatural forces at play, right? So the definition of magic isn't necessarily that supernatural forces are at play, but it's that apparently supernatural forces are at play. And that definitely is how I would describe this process. Yeah, definitely. What's, what I think the quote, and again, I'll probably butcher it, but one man's magic is another man's um, engineering or, or technology. And oh, it, yeah. it really is just the, the technical side of language that we're dealing with that um, for us is technical with, like you said, a process and for others, um, it can appear to be, you know, like you said, like magic. I want to tie this back around though. This is cool. I just had a connection of, <laughs> you know, we, and, and so we, we're all, we do, you know, language work, spell work, however you want to refer to it. And, and we have a process for how to, you know, break the curses and, and craft the spells. Well, well is for me, my there are incantations. Um, I think I froze for a second, so mm -hmm. I'll go back. But yeah, what, what's cool for me is I'll go into my, into my tradition and my lineage and I'll find these incantations. And, you know, and then I'll hear from other people from different 
who have different ancestry than me who have had that break and disconnect from that. Or they're like, oh, well, we don't have those incantations similar to what you were saying earlier. Like I don't have those, those spells of my ancestors and the incantations of my ancestors. And what's cool though is because it's like, well, I, I have some of those and again, you can see those patterns and what we have is this recipe book. And so even, even without the verbatim language or even not knowing the language maybe it's a dead language that your ancestors mm -hmm. spoke right but i'm like i get chills speaking about this because what what we do have is a recipe for how to create you know powerful combinations of words to create positive influence which is a spell which is you know when i look at into the Hebrew and I reread the incantations from that perspective. I'm like, that's what that was too, mm -hmm. you know? So just to like bring that around in that, well, how, how do we connect with that when we don't know the language that our ancestors spoke? Well, we, we may not know the language, but we do have formulas in this spell work that, that we're doing that is informed by ancient wisdom that is then put into modernly applicable processes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool how you tied that all, all together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, cool. It's all connected. <laughs> yeah, it is. All. Um, where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your work, spellcrafting? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, the best place right now is going to be my Instagram mm -hmm. um, simply because even as I have different, you know, offers or landing pages, that is going to be a central hub that over time, like as a, you know, people listening to a podcast later, that will still be a good central hub um, for people to check out. And that is just at my name. So it's at Shifra Bloom on Instagram and can find me there you can connect with me there uh yeah love connecting to our like-minded folks mm -hmm. there's a great community of that uh, and then how would you recommend our listeners go about starting their own pirate life taking those small bold actions growing in community whatever what have you this is a great question <clears throat> Listening to this podcast is a great start. <laughs> and um, three. Three is the theme. It's the perfect three, number. Three steps. There's three steps, and they're pretty short. I think the three steps are address your language. It is, it is vitally important. Mm -hmm. To address address your energy, address any, you know, uh, like have, a, have your version of your energy hygiene routine to recenter and reground yourself. That could look like energy work, but it could look like other things that are going to recenter and ground your energy. So address your energy and your language. And, you know, the other thing that I have is the ancestral healing, but when you address your language and energy, 
um, especially when you're when you're consciously bringing in that ancestral healing piece to those those two will will do that you know and um so we're gonna i mean I, that could even be like its own extra pillar but let's just go mm-hmm. with language energy and then get support like really really i mean that i remember some 12 years ago i felt so just lost and just desperately crying out for mentorship and now i'm just surrounded by all the mentors that i wish i would have had then just just like mm, like holding that little one a version of me and wow what would it have been had i you know had the access to to like the right connections then and had the willingness to choose to accept that because it's both it's it's not only having the knowing who those potential you know mentors could be but then having the you know willingness or worthiness or ability you know ability within myself to say yes i'm going to accept to to go forth with this um if if someone's like really looking to step into something new in their life, like find the people who are inspiring you, who are speaking your language, who are already doing it and like work with them. That's, that's what I've done. That's Mm -hmm. what I will always continue to do. And so those are the three things that I suggest. Cool. Um, So you mentioned communication earlier and I have a really important uh, question um first of all actually i have a important question for you do you know any good pirate jokes oh (laughs) (laughs) i was supposed to prep on this (laughs) if you don't we always have one prepared i i i can't think of one on the spot (laughs) cool so this is going to go back to my very important question about communication. How do pirates communicate with each other? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do they? With an iPhone. But, <laughs> but eye to eye is always best. <laughs> I love it. Got a great pirate. <laughs> I- <laughs> thank you thank you for listening to pirate living podcast if you enjoyed listening to this episode make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and follow us on instagram at pirate living podcast to keep up on the latest community news and find out about our coaching programs and until next time keep creating good trouble